last week we talked about God's will. We're going to take one topic each week. And it's, I think it's funny. I, think, I know God has a sense of humor. Because I made this statement not too long ago to somebody um, that, you know, I really don't preach a lot of series. Over the years that I have preached, and I've been preaching for, I don't know, uh, probably over 35, 30, 37 years, something like that. Anyway, uh, it doesn't seem like that long, but it has been. And uh, anyway, I'm not one to preach series, and then I, I'm... This is the second series that I've done in the last two months, three months, something like that. And it's like, wow. Uh, but that's just how the Lord does. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Uh, but how to pray. And each week, uh, if we can put that back up on the screen, each week we have a, a topic. Last week was God's will. This week is God's provision. Next week is for forgiveness and then about temptation. And we are going through... This teaching based on the Lord's prayer to his disciple, uh, for his disciples to follow as an example. And the Lord's prayer is foundational. It's a foundational prayer of progression. So as you start with the first part, each one builds on the one that is before it. You must follow the first part before you can move to the next part. Each one is conditional, built on the one before it. I mean, how many know that God's promises are conditional? He doesn't say just out of nowhere, I'm going to give you this, but he says, if you do this, then I will do that. Amen. For example, if you cannot ask for God's provision until you pray and you believe and pray for God's will. We can pray for God's provision all day long, but until we pray, God's will, then it's not really going to go anywhere. I want to look at the overall foundation before the prayer starts. We're going to review some from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Let's look at the overall foundation even before Jesus begins telling his disciples how to pray as far as the Lord's Prayer goes. Matthew 6 verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And this next sentence really encapsulates what... Jesus is really saying here, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what you do behind closed doors for the Lord is something that he sees in, 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 in where, where he is and he rewards you based on what you do for him out of public view. I mean, want a reward from the Lord. Amen. 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 And verse 5 starts off, and when you pray, it's not and if you pray, it's and when you pray. So with the expectation from Jesus is for the disciples that you're going to pray. That's the expectation. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. 
But when you pray, here it is again, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And here it is again. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And this is where Jesus gets into the Lord's Prayer portion. He says, then this, this then is how... You should pray. This is how you should pray. He gives us the guidelines here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the margin of this says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's not included in the official translation because it didn't appear in some places, but you guys know what that is. And then verse 14, and if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. So when we pray, this is how we should pray. That's what he says. We start with our Father in Heaven. We're going to review the foundation before we get to provision. Our Father in Heaven. So prayer must involve worship of the Heavenly Father. He loves us. He cares for us so much that He gave His one and only Son that we would not perish, that we'd have everlasting life. And then it says, Hallowed be your name. We talked about that last week. It means that we are to reverence the name of the Heavenly Father because His name is higher than any other. How do we do this? We praise Him. We glorify Him. We exalt Him. When we come to our Heavenly Father uh, in prayer, we show Him complete reverence, not just when we pray, but how we live. Reverence is something that is, I think, very much lacking in our culture today. Reverence and respect. Reverence and respect. I heard, um, uh, and, and even, to, even to natural parents, and so... To get to the place where you reverence and, and respect the Holy God and your Heavenly Father, you really need a foundation of how you reverence and respect those in authority over you here. And the, 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 the powerful thing is, is God does not change. How many know God does not change? He doesn't change. Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I heard... Uh, Pastor Robert Morris going through the Ten Commandments, and he said, out of the Ten Commandments, there were two commandments that meant instant death. And one was, if you did not honor your father and your mother. Amen. So he said, parents, if any of your kids don't honor you, they don't respect you, he said, just tell them, you better be glad you're not living in the Old Testament because you'd be dead. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just it. Uh, but out of reverence, out of respect, we approach our Heavenly Father. Not just in how we pray, but how we live. Because how many know our life is a reflection of who we are? Not just with our words, but with our actions as well. We live our lives in such a careful manner that we absolutely never bring reproach on His name by conducting our lives in any way that remotely caused anyone else to think negatively about our God. His church or about his gospel or his kingdom. How we live is a reflection of, of what we believe. Your kingdom come, verse 10 says. Uh, what we're saying is here, we want God what you want. Your assertive power to show up right here, right now within us so that, you're, that 
As your people, we can destroy the works of darkness, oppression, and sin, and that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on, for your purpose. This foundation puts us in the right frame of mind to proceed with your, this prayer. And, and, and some of the highlights from last week, again, verse 10, your will be done. That's what we talked about last week. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray your will be done, we're laying it all out there. We're saying from the depths of our heart that we sincerely believe God's will will be done and His eternal plan will be accomplished in our lives, in our family, in every way, without reservation, without holding anything back. When we pray, we pray that God's purpose is to be fulfilled right here in the natural realm as well as just like it is in heaven in the unseen realm when we pray your will be done in heaven just as it is on earth we're asking that whatever we want god is what you want we don't want anything that you don't want if we can grasp how much better his plans are and his purposes are than our own then we really get to that place we can proceed to the next part of the prayer which is how to pray for god's provision how to pray for god's provision Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. God's provision. What we're asking for God to provide is for what we need physically, emotionally, spiritually, and in every way today, right now. And when Paul wrote to the Philippians and he thanked them for their kindness and their generosity and their giving him provisions and meeting his needs, he said this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. He said, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, Pleasing to God. I want you to catch that. They were pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. A lot of times we want to use just that verse. And I told you, I think last week, that I really am hesitant. It really, it kind of bugs me to start to just quote a verse that starts with and. Because that meant there's something before that. And we saw what was before that. They were talking about the fragrant offering, the, the acceptable sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord. They had been generous in giving for the work of the ministry. And in that context, because of their heart and how they were living and how they were conducting themselves, then he said, and my God will meet all your need according to his riches in, of, of his glory in Christ Jesus. So, so the Philippians were being used of God, fulfilling the will of God by supporting this missionary named Paul. He was ple this was pleasing to the Lord. And in that context, Paul declares that God will meet all of your needs. How many know that God has the ability to meet all of our needs? Every one of them, not leaving anything out. Every single need. What this means is that we can, we can only expect to experience God's provision through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can only expect God's provision through our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what this verse says. When we know that our relationship with, is right with Jesus, then we can 
absolutely use this verse in our prayer for God's provision. Heavenly Father, I believe that you will meet all my needs according to your word through my relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when your relationship with Jesus is right, everything else in your life will be right as well. If your relationship with Jesus is distant, then everything else in your life is not going to go just the way that, that it should because God's not at the helm. And when we pray for our needs to be met, it should not just be a simply, simply a list of what comes to mind that would be nice to have. There's a lot of things that would be nice to have. I mean, you can think of something nice to have that you, you would like to have. I mean, how many of you would refuse a new car if someone were to give it to you? There's probably not a hand in this place that would say, somebody says, here's the keys to, to a new car. There it is. You don't have any payments. You don't have to pay for the insurance. It's all taken care of. And, and yeah, I mean, it kind of be, it kind of be kind of crazy. I mean, to even that happen, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that, but truly what your needs are in every area of your life, in your relationship with God, your relationship with others and in material needs as well. And the relationship part is critical. There are people that profess Christianity and they go around with broken relationships and, and harshness between them and someone else. And that is not God's plan. That is not God's plan. Paul reminds Timothy about this critical truth when he would be presenting the good news of the gospel in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The King James says, who rightly divides the word of truth. We must be also able to correctly handle, hold on to, and live by the whole of the word of God. Here's a practical example. If somebody is in financial distress and they need money, they can't expect to go to God and say, Lord, you see this need, will you meet it? But they don't tithe. But they don't tithe. When people have asked me to pray for them for a financial miracle or a blessing of some type, I don't just start praying. I ask them a question, do you tithe? Do you tithe? Because for me to pray for God to bless you financially when someone doesn't tithe, then I would be going against what the word of God says in Malachi chapter 3. And it's like, you know, it's like this. God already said in his word. I got I told you the Lord has a sense of humor. I'm kind of limited by this cord, unfortunately. But anyway, I told you God has a sense of humor. Um, our church many years ago, we used to uh, we used to have a food pantry, and uh, and we used to have a pretty regular um, ministry and giving out of groceries and things like that. And there's been some needs that have come up recently. And Annette mentioned this a few weeks ago, and she said she said, you know, I think we need to turn your office into a food pantry. And I thought, okay. Uh, I can share my space with food. That's okay. I don't use it all that much because I have a full-time job. I'm not here a lot of the time. 
And uh, I was seeing this as a, a, uh, a, 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 a kind of a new ministry because we haven't had one in a long time. And, I, and when I was praying the other morning, I was praying about this food pantry. And um, the ministry. And I think I was approaching it in the context of, um, well, should we do it or should we wait or is it the right time? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, why would you ask me if it's the right time to do this when I've already told you to do it in James 1.27? I've already told you that you need to be looking after the widows and the orphans in their times of distress. So if you have the ability to do it, why would you ask me if you should? And I thought, okay. Now sin. When he gives us the ability, if his word says to do it, then we need to do it. Um, there was a famine in the land due to severe drought. Some of you remember, remember the story. I'm not going to go through the entire story. And the prophet Elijah had given instruct, had, was given instructions by the Lord to move from the brook where the Lord had been taking care of him, the brook Cherith, if you... Uh, if you have read your Bible, you probably have heard the story. The brook Cherith, where the raven would bring him food every day, and then one day the brook dried up. I want to take you to that story in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 7. And it says this, Sometime later the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land, then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. I want you to remember that. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there Gathering sticks, he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Now, I just found this to be kind of humorous and odd in a way because God says, there's instructions that I'm giving and I'm giving this direction that there's a widow that's going to supply food to you and when he gets there, she says, I don't have any food. I mean, is it, is it just me or do you find that kind of ironic? God says go there because there's going to be food and when he gets there, there's no food. And then she says this, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug and I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die this is all I have I'm going to make use of it and then after that there is no more and we're just going to starve to death I mean this was clearly not the situation you would expect she had nothing when the prophet got there, but we're talking about God's provision. God said this widow's going to give you food. 
So she's going to give him food. If God said it, then that, is, that really settles it. This woman was clearly in need of God's provision herself. But how can she be in the position to provide something to someone else when she could hardly provide for herself and her son? I want you to grasp this truth this morning. We're talking about God's provision. God's provision was needed for the prophet. God's provision was needed for the woman and for her son. Some of you might wonder the same thing. Lord, how can I provide for anyone else when I can't even hardly provide for myself? I want to stand here today and tell you boldly that you are not the provider. Hello? Can I get an amen? You are not the provider. He is the provider. He is your source. You are not your source. I never will forget when we were going through a really difficult time um, a number of years ago financially. And uh, uh, we went up for prayer and our pastor prayed for us, uh, Brother Bookout, and he, he said something not many people knew what we were going through. And he put his hand on, on my shoulder as he prayed with Annette and I standing at the front of the church. And there were others that were praying, so it wasn't a public prayer. Um. And he just said these words, and I've never forgotten them. He said, Lord, help him to realize that his job is not his source, but you are his source. Amen. You are his source. And that is so true. Verse 13 continues. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have. And bring it to me. So first, I want you to take care of God's plan. First, I want you to take care of God's messenger, the man of God. For Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Here's the word of the Lord. Get this. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Meaning that all throughout the foreseeable future, when there may be trouble and distress, I'm letting you know this day that the Lord is going to take care of you if you will put God first in everything that you do in this action. If you will continue to put God first, He will take care of you and your needs will be supplied and God will provide. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is true. It's always true. This word that was spoken by Elijah, it's always true. This was God's will, God's provision. Can you imagine the joy this woman must have had? She was glad she was now able to provide for Elijah, but because of God's provision, she was also able to provide for herself and for her son. She was now in a position to be able to provide for the man of God. And there are some people 
You know, she and we don't know the story doesn't tell us, but but perhaps she was in a in a difficult place and and she cried out to the Lord and the Lord saw her and knew, Lord, this is all I have. I don't know what to do, but He shows up and He tells you what to do and He gives you He gives us instructions. We find that out through prayer. We find it out through fasting. We find it out through our time with God from the Word of God. When we pray for God's provision, we do so not just so that we will be in a better situation, but God's provision allows us to use what he has provided to allow us to be in his service for someone else, to someone else for him. I want to repeat that again. When we pray for God's provision, we do so not just not just so we'll be in a better situation, but God's provision allows us to use what he has provided to allow us to be in his service toward others. And if you remember what Jesus said were the two greatest commandments when he was asked is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your body and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You can love God to the nth degree, but if you never show love to your neighbor, then you're not fulfilling the most important things that Jesus said that we should do is to show love. We don't receive God's provision and then do nothing with it. Oh, look, the Lord provided for me. What are you going to do with the provision? We've asked him, Lord, I know that you can meet all my needs according to your riches and glory when I'm walking in your will and I'm living according to your word. But what do I do with those provisions? Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter nine, verse six says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap Generously, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I've heard Brother Bill say, but he'll take it from an old grouch too. <laughs> no, just kidding. But God's desire is that we really get to the place where we, we realize that none of this belongs to us. None of what we have belongs to us. If it does, who does it belong to in a hundred years? If it doesn't matter a hundred years from today, it won't matter today. Amen. People work and they work to amass all kinds of things and, and what interests them. But then God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8 says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. That means over the top blessing so that in, that in all things at all times... This is not just talking about money. It's not talking about finances. It's talking about the whole of your existence. God is able to supply all things at all times, meaning that God's provision is there for everything that you need, every time that you need it, at every stage in your life, not leaving anything out, having all that you need, making sure that you have everything that you need, and then get this, you, uh, so that you will abound in every good work. Not that God is 
able to give you everything that you need so that you'll have all that you need. It doesn't stop there. So that you will be, you will abound in every good work. These verses speak of the motives of what we do with what God has provided to us. When we have the ability to do for those in need, God's provision through us, then we find that he blesses us so our work can abound or prosper or flourish in working for the Lord. When Paul was acknowledging the grace of God that God had given to the Macedonian believers so that all would know, here's what he said when he wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 2. He said, in the midst of a severe trial. Anybody ever gone through a severe trial? You ever gone through a place where it's been difficult to get through just from one place to the other? In the midst of a very severe trial, talking about the Macedonian church, he said, their overflowing joy, even in the midst of the most severe trial, you can have a joy that overflows and a peace because you know you have a relationship with the one. You have a relationship with the one that gives you peace. And their extreme poverty... People look at the, this, this church, this, these people, these Macedonians, and, and say, they don't have anything. They're broke. They don't have anything. But what they have, they have an overflowing joy, a peace that passes understanding. They're in the midst of a severe trial, probably the roughest thing they've ever gone through in their lives, and they have nothing. You look from the outside and you, you, you look at them and you say, they're at the end of the poverty scale. They're way below that. There's lots of people that have a lot more than they have. But in the midst of that, their overflowing joy their extreme poverty welled up. They welled up in rich generosity. There was just something about these people that even in the midst of a trial, even in the midst of extreme hardship, they had joy that nobody could explain and just within them sensed this generosity. I believe firmly with all my heart that even though we can look at our own situation and we can think that there's, there's, it seems hopeless, we have a hope in Jesus Christ and even though we may not see the provision that we think we should see when there is a joy that wells up within us. I believe that there can be a generosity. Lord, I may not have much, but what I have, I'm going to dedicate to you and I'm going to trust you and I'm truly going to live by faith. If you remember the story in the in the Bible that Jesus told about the woman, well, it wasn't a story. He said that the, he saw the woman that came and he put he put two, she put two coins in the offering everybody else was throwing all these wads of cash in there and she came and put these two coins in and he said all these people gave out of their riches and their wealth but this woman gave everything that she had she put it on the line she put it in the offering and so God's provision was her and so she gave more than all of the others because she was trusting God she was living by faith and she was saying I'm going to live a life where I'm going to trust for God's provision I'm talking to somebody right now who says, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. You tithe and then trust God. Tithe and then trust God. He will come through 100% of the time. And he says that. He says that in his word. Test me and prove this. Test me. I've seen it time and time again, time and time again. 
I've seen God open up down to full provisions. And, and I've, seen, I've seen people be able to give more than they've ever given before. And with, when we are good stewards over what God has given us, over the small things, He will allow us to steward more and steward more and steward more because He knows He can trust us. If He can trust you every step of the way, He's going to do that. And then he goes on, their, their generosity welled, welled up. And then in verse 3, he says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Now, how does somebody give beyond their ability? I'll tell you right now, they give beyond their ability because God enables them to do more than they could on their own. We're talking about God's provision. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I get the sense that Paul was saying, we didn't solicit offerings from the Macedonians because we knew their situation. We knew they were going through a rough time. And so we're not even going to hit them up because there's a lot of other people that can give. But there was this well of generosity that just birthed within them. And they said, we want to give. We want to do what we can and they urgently pleaded with us there it is in, in in the scripture for the privilege of sharing in this service to the lord's people they wanted to invest in missions for the cause of christ and verse 5 said they exceeded our expectations this was way more let me tell you something a number of years ago we had a special event that happened this church did this when we were in the old location and our church, uh, if you don't know our church history, there has been a history of financial difficulties. Um, many of it, much of it was tied to the fact that we had a very expensive property that we moved from that was very expensive to pay for and very expensive to maintain. But when we were at that other location, we had a special service one night and we were going to we had a, a special service we had a lot of people there and we were going to take up a special offering for Africa tabernacle evangelism Africa they build churches in Africa this church on one night raised five thousand dollars to contribute and there is a tabernacle in Africa with the name greater heights on it because we were able to give beyond what we could. It doesn't mean equal giving. It means equal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. He said, and they exceeded our expectations. So they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They put God first. And then, by the will of God, also to us. So they tithed. They gave to the Lord first what belonged to the Lord. And they also, by the will of God, gave to us, Paul is talking here, them on their missionary adventures. So we encouraged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to, all, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, he's talking to the Corinthians. He said, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in complete earnestness, earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you see that you also excel in this grace of giving this grace of giving there is a grace about giving what they did was so powerful 
They gave as an expression. How, how do we pray for God's provision? After we come to him in a reverent manner with an attitude of wanting from within the depths of our soul, the closeness with Jesus, out of that depth of our relationship with him, we want what he wants in our lives, his will, his plan, his purpose. That has to be first. And then we pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Everything that I need today, right now, not just for me and my family, but that you're for your purpose so that I can not just enjoy or be satisfied with what God you provide, but excel in the grace of giving to others. Because when you are able to touch others, it speaks volumes about you and about Christ that allows the light of Christ to shine through all that we do in every way. We are called to be givers and we do that through extending God's provision to us out to others. So that's how we pray for God's provision. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy. I thank you, Lord, that in every way you have called us, Lord, to be givers just as you gave. And as, Lord, we have talked about and you've shared with us, Jesus, how we should pray for your provision. We do so humbly. We come before you first and foremost. We have to have our relationship with you right. If we don't have our relationship with you right, then nothing else matters. We have to be right in our relationship with you. We have to be uh, seeking your will for our lives. And in that context, as we reverence you, Lord, we say, God, I would like for you to meet every need so that I can help meet the needs of others. Lord, I thank you for that ability that you give and for that promise that you give in the name of Jesus.